Go ahead and find your way to a couple of passages. We're going to start in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and then you will eventually need Acts chapter 2. Colossians 1, Acts chapter 2. In three weeks, we will go back to our study of Galatians, which I look forward to, but we thought it was important that we lay this foundation at this time with some of the basic, um, with our mission, with our values, as we look uh, together at what God is calling us and who God is calling us as a church to be and why it matters. So pray with me. Father, Your Word doesn't offer vague hints about who we are as Your people or what we're to be about. It certainly doesn't leave it open-ended for us to decide as if we were some man-made group who could come up with our own plan. But You, the Lord have told us what our mission is. And by Your Word, You shape us and mold us in the image of Christ that we, uh, together, as Your people, and then as we scatter into this world, still Your people, that we would be Your agents, Your light, uh, your, 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 Your ambassadors, as we saw last week, declaring the praise of the King and His salvation to every ear that all might hear, knowing that all who do hear, by Your grace, by Your grace, will be brought home. God, we desire to see that happening in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 24. Uh, Colossians 1, 24, the Apostle Paul writing, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh... I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body that is the church. I'm undertaking suffering to carry the news of what Christ suffered, and that's going to cause me suffering, right? Because it's worth it. And I'm extending that, the reach of that message through my missionary activity. I'm doing it for the sake of His body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He so powerfully works within me. In this passage, the Apostle Paul tells us in the most clear way possible what he understands the mission of the church to be. Do you see it? Verse 28, Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's really Paul's version of the Great Commission we looked at last week. Do you remember? What is the mission of the church? Jesus tells us plainly, Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Go, he says, preach the gospel that brings people to faith in Christ and disciple them in that faith. Bring them up into that place of spiritual maturity and joyful obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our mission together. And so the question that we face this morning is, how do we do that? What are the values, what are the things that God has told us to prioritize as a church through which He will get that done? So the first thing I want you to see kind of as a foundation for this is that our priority mission as Christ's church is the growing maturity of every believer. We want to see every one of you, every one of you growing up in Christ-like maturity. We want to see your kids growing up to be Christ-like adults. Do you see, again, that's what Paul is saying here. Look at it again. Verse 28. We proclaim Him, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ for this a toil, struggling with all the energy that He so powerfully works within me. (laughs) Paul says, I've got a mission. I've got a purpose. We as a church have a mission and a purpose. What is that purpose? Well, we've seen to make disciples, but, but to see it here in Paul, let's back up just a little bit and kind of get a, kind of get a run at this passage because there's so much here. Um, to understand that, we need to start back in verse 13 where Paul says, He, that is God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. This is a reminder, first, who we are as Christ's church. Who are we? We are a redeemed people. We have been rescued out of the death and darkness that holds this rebel planet in its icy grip and transferred into the light and life of Christ's kingdom where He reigns over our lives. And so we are first and foremost Jesus' people. So He is now our priority. He is our King and Lord. In fact, look at the verses that follow there. Verse 13, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, uh, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. That's worth a shout. I mean, this is Jesus. This is who He is. He is preeminent in all things. And so therefore, He must be preeminent in our lives. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. And He is Lord. So everything in the church begins 
as we saw last week, with the recognition of the sovereign lordship of Christ. Christ, who has done what? In kindness and mercy, Paul says, through the preaching of the gospel, He has assembled us together in one body to be His church, to be His people, that we might live out our lives for Him. Uh, Picking up in verse 21, Paul says, Now, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, that's you pre-conversion, that's who you were, you He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death. Why? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so, by the grace of the gospel, He has saved us, and He has summoned us together to be His church. Remember, the church is at the very center of that mission of what Christ is doing and of what Christ will continue to do through us. Verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. I'm extending what He did by what I do and the suffering is worth it that you might hear. Why do I do this? For the sake of His body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known. Paul says, I'm gladly suffering Christ-like sufferings in order to bring you God's Word which will make you a part of Christ's church where He is working in and through your life by grace to make you more and more and more like Jesus. And that brings us back to verse 28. And so it's Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so the goal of God in your life and in the life of every person who hears and responds to the Gospel is to bring us into His body, the church, where He can make us more and more like Jesus as mature disciples. So if you ever show up here and ask the question, what is God doing in my life right now? Here's the answer. He's making you more and more like Jesus. He's bringing you into the full maturity of Christ. He's working out verse 22 in your life in order to present you holy and blameless before Him above reproach if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast not shifting away from the hope of the Gospel. That's what He's up to in your life. And it's what He's up to in my life and in the church. This church, right? Rockport Baptist Church is His way of doing this in your life right now if you're a part of His church. Because He does it and works through His body. And so the question we're asking this morning is what is His plan to do that? As we gather in obedience to Him, 
What does Rockport need to focus on doing week after week to make sure God's purpose of bringing you and your children to Christ-like maturity is actually taking place? That's really the heart of this message this morning. So what I want to do is give you five biblical priorities. Uh, We're going to call them values. But five biblical priorities that God has given us to bring His people to maturity. Uh, Five things that God has given that we must keep as the priority practice of our gathered church because these are the things He uses to accomplish His purpose in us. Five things. Uh, Warren mentioned them earlier. Truth that transforms our lives. Worship that centers us on Christ. Fellowship that binds us together in Christ's love. Prayer that expresses our dependence upon Christ. And mission that shapes our lives for His glory. Look at these five things biblically. First of all, truth that transforms our lives to be more like Jesus. Isn't that exactly what Paul is saying in verse 28? What do we do? We proclaim Him! We warn everyone and teach everyone with all wisdom about Him. Why? So that we might present everyone mature in Christ. What is it that that, that presents everyone mature in Christ? It's hearing the truth about Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word about Christ. If you're in our men's study of Titus, you'll remember the theme there is that gospel truth believed leads to godly living by believers. It begins with the truth, um, not only heard, but the truth believed. Why? Because truth is transformative. Uh, Jesus said that very clearly in John 17, 17, praying to the Father. He said, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Uh, The word of God taken in molds and shapes our lives into the image of Christ. Uh, Romans 12, verse 2, Paul says, don't be conformed to this world anymore, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And the Word is the agent of that removal. And that means the most important thing that, that we can do for you on a regular basis is to open up God's Word week after week and be faithful to proclaim what it says to you and your children. Because there is power in that 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 transcends whoever the speaker might happen to be. It's the Word. God speaks here. Christ is seen here. The Holy Spirit is active and alive shaping our lives here when His Word is opened. And so any time that a church would step away from that Word to put something else in its place, it is robbing you spiritually. It is is taking away from you the thing you need most to grow in Christ-likeness. Now that's not all you need, but it begins there. Notice how it began there for the early church. That will take us to Acts 2.42. It's the day of Pentecost. 
uh, that wonderful day when uh, God sent His Spirit upon the church and really sent the church out for the first time in the power of Jesus. Peter, in the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, stands in the streets of Jerusalem and preaches the Gospel for the first time. And we're told in verse 41 in the aftermath that those who received His Word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I mean, wow! (laughs) 3,000 souls. In a very real way, the New Testament church got its beginning on earth there. So, what does a brand new church under the direct leadership of the Spirit-filled apostles focus on? Verse 42 is the answer. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. They devoted themselves. It's a, it's a word there that, that means that they gave intense attention to. Pictures like, like a dog chasing a rabbit. You ever seen a dog chase a rabbit? Nose to the ground, tail in the air. I mean, he's just everywhere it goes, he goes. There's nothing half-hearted or lackadaisical about it at all. The church, from its beginning, was anything but half-hearted about the Word. It was relentless in its pursuit of God's Word. You say, yeah, yeah, but, but it didn't say that. It says, it says the apostles' teaching. Well, duh! What do you think that was? First, Peter hadn't been written yet. But Peter is right there. John's Gospel would come later, but John himself was present and so was Matthew and the others. And what are they doing? They are teaching the truths that would later, by the Spirit's inspiration, be written down in the New Testament. Why? Because this is how you grow Christ's people. This is how you build discipleship into their lives. You open up this Word that reveals Jesus and you let Him speak. 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 19 says, uh, speaking now as we move out of the apostolic age into a period into the period we live, it says, and now we have the prophetic word uh, more fully confirmed. We don't have Peter and John anymore, but we have the prophetic word confirmed, preserved, given, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now we have the word, pay attention. That's where God's light is going to be seen. Or 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, useful, beneficial for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God, that the woman of God, that the person of God may be complete, um, which means Mature. Same word Paul uses in our Colossians passage. So that you may become mature, equipped for every good work. And so for a church to be a faithful church, it must focus with priority on the preaching, the teaching, the counseling, the sharing, the understanding, the applying of God's inerrant Word. And so listen, don't don't you ever settle for anything less. And if God takes you from here, don't settle to be a part of a church somewhere that in any way subverts God's Word. 
Whether it's me in the pulpit or someone else insist that those who would dare take their stand in this holy place, those who would dare to teach a class to your children, those who would dare to lead a study of any kind, will have as their prime focus the opening up of God's Word where God speaks for your good and your growth. Let that be something that's non-negotiable. Much more we could say about that, and at a later time perhaps we shall. But let's look at the second priority that really grows out of that first one. And that is a, a worship, a true worship that centers on Christ. Not on me, not on you, not on entertainment, but on Jesus. Why? Because Christ is what you need. You need to come face to face with Him on a regular basis. You need Him because remember, He's the one who is Lord. And if He is Lord, what must you and I do? We must worship Him. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore, because of His finished work on the cross, His dying and rising again, God has exalted Him, bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And one glorious day, every knee and will bow, every tongue will confess, but dear believers, we bow, we confess now. Because a redeemed people will be a worshiping people. It's our nature now. Hebrews 12, 28, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom. We don't have to build something ourselves. He has done it. We're receiving the kingdom He won upon the cross. Let us therefore be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. And we see that reality of worship coming home to those redeemed believers on that first day of Pentecost. So what's the first thing they began to do? Again, verse 42, And they devoted themselves to some things, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Now, look carefully at those words, to the breaking of bread. Okay, big deal. They had meals together. No, 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 no. It is much more than just a meal. The language here reflects the breaking of bread that took place in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Now, I can take time we don't have this morning and walk you through why that's true. I'm just going to ask you to trust me on that one. That's really clear. Because from the beginning, Christ stood at the center of the church's gathering for worship. The early church from its beginning was a worshiping church and their worship centered on Christ. This is my body. This is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And they did. Verse 46. Day by day, attending the temple together. Remember, they're sitting that crossover from, from the old to the new and they're still going to the temple and worshiping together in the temple, but also from house to house. Now, that's not just getting together for a C group. There were no church buildings. That's their gatherings. That's where the church came together uh, day by day, attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. 
There is something transformative and powerful when the saints gather to worship Jesus. Because listen, when we do that, He is here among us. Isn't that what He said? Matthew 18, 20, 4, 2, or 3 are gathered in My name. There am I among them. He doesn't mean when gathered for coffee, though you may sense the presence of Jesus with other believers, but He means when the church gathers, when My people do what I've commanded them to do, that they, when they are together in context here, He's talking about the gathered church and God's people gathered together as they set their focus upon the presence of Christ. Christ is here. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe in the real presence of Jesus when we gather like this? You say, you know, I really do want to grow closer to Christ. I really do want to know Him better. This is the place to begin. It's not the only place that you encounter Christ, but it's the most reliable place. Because Jesus said He would meet us here. And Jesus never lies. As we come together in His name to hear His Word and gather with His people, Christ Himself draws near whether you feel it or not. That really happens. There is a reality to the presence of Christ where His Word is preached and His people come in submission to that Word seeking Him. And so it is our responsibilities as leaders in the church to make sure that our focus as a church remains on Christ. That really matters. And you need to understand that between the three of us and any other elder who comes on, this is our pledge. But it is also your responsibility, church, to demand that we keep that pledge. We don't substitute. You'll notice this morning that there's a Super Bowl going on, I hear. That we hadn't, except for that statement, said a thing about it. We hadn't centered our service, as unfortunately many churches may do today, on a Super Bowl theme because frankly, the whole thing can burn down and that won't matter in eternity. But we've met with... By the way, I'm a football fan. And I hope, the, and I hope, and I hope the Chiefs win. But when it comes to Chiefs or Jesus, it's Jesus 100% and I don't care about the Chiefs. Why? Because Jesus told us this is what we must do for your good and His glory. I'm just listening to the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3.15. Talking about the assembled church. Talking about the church as it comes together in His name. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. Notice that. And be thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell literally among you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, now that has greater application, but really he's talking about in this as you're gathered, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. When we gather for worship, everything we do must be centered on Christ and His Word richly dwelling in you. I really do love the way Ligon Duncan put this as he was talking about the worship of the church as it gathers. He says, here's what we must do. As we come together, first of all, we sing the Word. Word-saturated songs. We hear the Word as it's read to us. We pray the Word back to God. We preach the Word in all of its power and we see the Word as it's put on display for us in the Lord's Supper and Baptism. 
That, dear church, is worship. That's the kind of worship that builds up your faith and sets you securely on Christ. Uh, Not just truth from a distance, but truth that comes as a reality, as a person. Truth that you experience because He's real, because He's here through these means. I was really praising God as we had our prayer time this morning. And one of the brothers uh, literally began praying my notes. That there would be reality, that Christ would be present, that it wouldn't just be words, that, 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 that we would know that Christ is with us. Right? Any church that doesn't center you on Christ through the means that He is giving you is robbing you. It's not helping you. It might entertain you. It might make you feel good for a minute. But if it's not bringing you to Christ and Christ before you, <laughs> what is the point? Lord willing, we must be faithful to present Christ to you week after week through the faithful means He has given. It's something we're always thinking about. Which brings us into the third thing. We must keep as a priority to be faithful to Christ. We must have the truth that transforms our lives. That's the Word. We must have worship that centers us on Christ. And third, we must have fellowship that binds us together in the love of Christ. All these are related. But you notice that's something that immediately stands out in the life of the early church. Again, Acts 42, or Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves, what? To the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all who had any need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So what stands out there? They were together. They were caring for each other. They were helping each other. And and the word for that togetherness in the New Testament is this word fellowship, koinonia in Greek. It means to share something in common. It means to have a share in one another around that common thing that binds us. Uh, It is is genuine Christ-centered community. Fellowship is much more than sharing a few sugary desserts after a meeting. right? It, it is sharing life together in Christ. One brother called it expressions of genuine Christianity freely shared among the members of Christ's family. Another said it is the spiritual glue of the Holy Spirit that binds us together in the love of Christ. It involves us taking active an active interest in each other and helping each other grow in the joy of learning to walk with Jesus. So in the church that is rich in fellowship, it's not just the elders who are concerned to see you grow in Christ. It is the whole body. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, which I think we'll look at next week, says... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him. Notice how corporate this is. Him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That building itself up in love comes in the context and power of real fellowship. 
And again, we, we see that happening in the early church. Listen, Christians are not like a bowl of BBs. Right? Independent little units that, 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 that may or may not come together. Uh, we are a body. He doesn't say, and now you are the bowl of BBs of Christ. Not that they even would have known how to say that, but you get it. You are the body of Christ. Notice verse uh, 44. They were together and had all things in common. They were together. That is, they chose to be together. They chose to spend time together. They took an interest in one another. Why? Because the life of Jesus in me resonates with the life of Jesus in you, and that draws us together. And the more of Christ in me and Christ in you, the tighter that bond becomes. Haven't you experienced that? Oh, if not, talk. We need to talk. That's why it is really such an incredible shame when Christians begin to let other things than Christ become the bigger priorities in their lives and try to build around those. You put something other than Christ at the center between us, whether you know politics or morality, you know, or or, or, or good causes. Oh, dude, that is a weak, weak bond, and ultimately it will drive us apart. No, it has to be Christ in His Word, in His presence, Christ more and more alive within us, Christ among you, the hope of glory. They were together. Second, they cared for one another. They took responsibility for each other's welfare. It says they had all things in common. All things in koina. Same root word as koinonia. All things in communion, we could say. So that, that doesn't mean that they were forced by somebody to give up their possessions. This isn't an early form of communism. But it does mean they valued one another more than they valued their possessions. I've got all I need. John over here has a need. I'd rather sell my stuff and meet John's need than hold on to my stuff for myself. That's Christ-like love in action. And you can apply that in a lot of ways, can't you? How I use my stuff like this, but also how I give my time, how I, how I, how I use my money. Or, or just being willing to endure the hassle of bearing one another's burdens. Oh, we'll get to that one in Galatians. Galatians 6 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so this, this is, this is a reality of what comes upon a church when the Spirit is present, not because someone made a rule and said do this, but because Christ's love is the reality that now fills our hearts in the power of the Holy Spirit. A genuine Christ-like fellowship will be full of this dynamic presence of the love of the Spirit working through us. And, and we cultivate that. We, we cultivate that by cultivating a love for Christ and cultivating submission to Christ in His Word and cultivating the selfless servanthood of Christ, seeking to honor Him in all things, knowing that honoring Him begins by how we treat each other here. By the way, that's why so many of you stick around Sunday after Sunday. If, you, if, you've, not, if you've not had the tendency to stick around a little bit, uh, I, I'd, I'd say try it. Believe it or not, there are folks who don't leave this place for a good hour to an hour and a half or more. Nobody passed a law saying you've got to do that. But they do it intentionally. Why do we do that? We do it because 
we have an intention to love Him and to love one another and something of Him in you uh, draws me to you and as we worship Him and give ourselves to Him, we want to love one another and serve each other in Him. There's a dynamic there. So all these things are things that we value together in Christ. Things that we prioritize. Truth that transforms our lives. That one's first on purpose. Worship that centers on Christ. Fellowship that binds us together in His love. And then fourth, prayer that keeps us dependent on Christ. Back to verse 42. And they devoted themselves to what? To the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. The prayers... Because the early church, like the Jews before them, actually had set times of prayer in the day. That's not to say that we have to follow that exact pattern and have set times of prayer, though it's not a bad practice. But it is to say, oh dear church, we must pray. Paul echoes that in Colossians 4 verse 2. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. The New American Standard renders that devote yourselves to prayer. Why? Because it's the same word Paul uses, I mean, that that we see in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to prayer. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. And whatever else that means, it means make this a priority concern. Give prayer a priority place in your life. Do that as an individual, but but really in context here, he also means do that as a church. Ephesians 6.18, to the church, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to the end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And really the focus here is upon the church. There are ways, as I say, that you keep this command individually. I hope you have a regular prayer time. You have whatever structure you need to keep that because your soul certainly needs it. But but really, he's here giving commands for the church itself. Praying together cannot be an occasional or haphazard activity in the life of a faithful church. It must be a regular pattern, a priority, a pulse beat of the heart. It clearly was in the early church. I went through the book of Acts this week and just counted the number of times we're told that they prayed together, starting in Acts 1.14, where it says all of them were together in one accord, devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and the brothers. By the way, that stood out because in Jewish circles those groups didn't pray together. New Testament comes along and they pray together. They seek God together. And I just started counting And when I got to 16 prayer meetings in the book of Acts, I said, okay, that's enough. I'm not going to go any further. But they did that. And whatever you make of that pattern, the thing that is very clear is they saw praying together as an important priority. Why did they? Because they wanted to see God move. They wanted to see Christ exalted and people saved and lives changed. And because they wanted those things, they gave a high priority to God-dependent prayer because they knew God must do those things. They prayed together. Now, listen, um, I am not up here using this to try to recruit for the Wednesday night prayer meeting. It's not about any one meeting. Prayer meetings are important. And I think I just said, we have one this Wednesday. I hope you'll come. I hope you'll prioritize being there. But here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying if you don't come, you're just a squishy Christian. 
and you're not as spiritual as the rest of us who come. I'm not saying that at all. There are legitimate reasons some of you don't come. Um, work schedules, distance, being out of town. Some of our people are actually working out of town through the week. Life issues, those aren't matters of judgment. Those are matters of practicality. We get that. And so I'm not so much focused on any one meeting, though again, some of you honestly ought to try to prioritize that. But I mean overall, we as a church must prioritize, a lot. just as we prioritize the Word in preaching, we must prioritize prayer in our meetings. By the way, have you noticed how we're trying to do that in many ways? If you've been coming to Rockport for at least 10 years, you know that like a lot of churches, we prayed very little in our service back in the day. We have purposefully increased the attention we give to prayer in our service. We try to do the same thing in D groups, and as we get going and talking so much, and suddenly you look down and it's already, you know, late. Our men's groups, our women's groups, friends getting together and praying together in all those ways, these are things that we at least ought to say, how would God have us pray together? The church that prioritizes God's mission will prioritize prayer. And so we focus on the priorities of the Word, worship, fellowship, prayer, finally, just very quickly, mission. Because I talked about this one a lot last week. Mission that shapes our lives around making Christ known to others. We're right back to Matthew 28, 19. What is the mission of the church? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Those who love Jesus want to tell others about Jesus. Right, Rob? That's right. The church that loves Jesus will prioritize proclaiming Jesus. Not just within these four walls, but we do a lot of that, but down the street and across the globe because we want Him to be known. We want everyone to know what Christ has done. And that's not just a a duty we do, a task we perform. It's the passion of our lives because He's that good. And so it grows out of everything we do as we preach the Word and worship Christ and enjoy rich Christ-centered fellowship and gather for prayer. We are focused and equipped on making much of Him in everything we do. We come together around these priorities, but we don't remain here in this holy huddle. We go out with His name on our lips. His joy in our hearts. His love in our hands. Ready to point others to Him. And that passion gets worked out in missions, in evangelism, in ministries of various kinds, the jail ministry, talking to women at the clinic, all those things. This mission sends us out together and in groups to our neighbors and to strangers to proclaim Christ's love. And, and the more our lives are shaped around the presence of Jesus, the more willing we will be to proclaim Him to others. So we come together as a church and we, we say, how can we make Him known to those around us and to those around the world. That mission prioritizes and shapes our lives. Years ago, we tried to put all that into a simple missions statement. 
And um, this is what we came up with. I don't know what you think about mission statements. They're, they can be helpful. Unless they become a, a law, then they're not helpful at all. But as just an expression of, of, of what is important, we said this. Which the Rockport Baptist Church exists to spread the good news, there's the gospel, the good news of God's sovereign grace, there's the gospel even more clearly, for the joy of all who believe. There's the gospel bringing people to faith and building them into disciples. Rockport Baptist Church exists to spread the good news of God's sovereign grace for the joy of all who believe. We are a people who want people to know Christ. If you're here and don't know Jesus, we long more than anything for you to know Christ. And we'd love to share with you forward more what that means. We want you to know Christ for, for who He really is and join us in loving Him and worshiping Him and living for Him and serving Him. We want everybody to know and enjoy Him. That's why we must consciously, church, prioritize these things that He has given us that keep that mission front and center when we gather. These commitments, we talked about this morning, focus our lives on Jesus and keep our church focused on the things Jesus cares about for us. Truth that transforms our lives. That's the word. Worship that centers on Christ. It's the reason we gather Fellowship that binds us together in love. That's what results when Jesus reigns in our hearts. Prayer that expresses our dependence on Christ because we are in desperate need of Him and what only He can do. And mission that shapes our lives and sends us out for His glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I know this is like a fire hose today. Just thinking about those priorities. And it it doesn't list everything we do as a church, but it, it should clarify the reason we do anything and the ground from which we do it and what it is that holds us together and grows us in grace. So Holy Spirit, I ask that You would help us work through these priorities, not because somebody listed them on paper, but because they grow from Your Word. Lord, I'm thankful for the time that Colin Warren and I spent last month just in our time of retreat praying and seeking You and talking about what is it that really matters? What what are we called to focus on as we seek to lead Your people to grow in grace and maturity? And Lord, thank You for giving us a little clarity on that. Continue to do that. We know we don't do all things well. And we want to do all things well. But finally, Lord, I pray for every soul in this room that they would be drawn to You individually and then drawn together. Lord, that we would present each soul here mature in Christ, which means, first of all, to have life. And you can't grow to maturity until you have life. And life comes by grace through faith, turning from sin according to the Gospel, trusting and surrendering to Christ, and He implants life, and that life begins to grow. Would you give life to the one whose soul is dead? And then would you fan that life into a growing, fruitful plant in the lives of everyone here who has that life? Would you make us fruitful Christians? 
Would you make us those who love you and love one another and worship you and serve you? Would you, would you cause Jesus to be the unrivaled priority of our hearts and minds as we gather and as we go from here? For the sake of your kingdom we pray. Amen.